0: Good evening, everybody, whoever everybody is. This is Dr. Simon, and I'm going to do my show tonight, a kind of a mixed-up melange of ideas. Uh, Next week, I think I'm going to do a really a good show. I had seen an episode with Dr. Oz, who was highly critical of uh, antidepressants had a couple of guests on and i've invited dr oz to be a member of my show and if he wanted i'd go on his uh i haven't heard from him yet i don't know if i will hear from him but i'll do the show anyway i'll present his ideas even if he's not here uh they're easily available on television you could probably downstream uh, or download or stream the uh, particular show um so, uh, next week we'll have a clear focus today doesn't have as much of a clear focus, but I think it's an important set of ideas I'm wrestling with and uh those of you who are listening or will listen, maybe you'll uh relate to this and listen and and um kind of struggle with the same set of ideas, examining your life uh If I had thought of alternative titles to this particular episode, it might be. Whose story are you living? Whose story do we live? Is it really our story or is it some other story? And somebody else's story. Uh, Is it a story we live because the goals are really our own or are the goals external to us? Uh, For example, uh, do we love our work because we love our work for itself or do we go to work day after day and do a job simply because it pays us money? Uh, not to sneer uh, at the notion of earning a living, but to do uh, any activity for uh, for a goal that's not our own, not internal to us. What uh, psychologists called in different times intrinsic motivation, where the reward for the activity is built into the activity itself. Uh, I played golf today, and I played well enough. And boy, do I love playing golf because it's for me. Uh, I do it. Uh, It's my story, and I'm a character in it. uh, And it's painful if I don't play well, and it's joyful uh, if I do play well. And I'm going to talk about the word joy, the emotion of joy in a little while. Um, On the other hand, uh, I've done... Uh, over my lifetime, activities that I did to earn a living. And while I always enjoyed and and found joy in being a psychologist, uh, some of the jobs I held, I held purely to earn a living. uh, And they were painful. So I wasn't living a story that was honest for myself. So that's some of the stuff I want to wrestle with, and I guess I'm into it at this point. Uh, when is life joyful? When does it feel real? Uh, when is it play? Uh, play is similar to the idea of intrinsic motivation. When we play, whatever it is, uh, the activity, it's for its own sake. So the luckiest people I know have jobs that are play. Uh, they make, it may be difficult play. It may be uh, a lot of intricacy. It may require a lot of skill. To play, but if it's an activity for its own sake, uh, then the activity is play. On the other hand, if we do it for money, if we do it to please another person, which can be important, uh, and the activity then is not done for its own sake, then it's work. And work can be very easy and not intricate, but work is often devastatingly boring very difficult i've always felt sorry for people who have uh 10 12 hour a day jobs for which they garner a check uh and feel no connection that there's nothing authentic they're not creating a story it's a story that's uh, given to them and it's a story that's alien to them uh and 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 the result uh is terrible boredom to eight ten hours a day doing something for which there's no play it's just work can something be work and play absolutely now the, the the whole notion of this is when does life feel real when is it joyful when is it authentic and when is it boring when do we when are we anxious and when even if we uh, make a lot of money or we achieve a certain brand of success as defined By American society uh, is life worth living or not worth living and over the years of my life I have met so many individuals who find their life boring and empty uh, making a lot of money and uh, I won't sneeze again I don't sneeze at the idea of making a lot of money Uh, there are all kinds of things you can play at and enjoy life if you have money I'm not recommending poverty in any way but their lives are feel false they feel empty and in a way they're really not worth living so this is the stuff that I struggle with and I've always struggled with particularly with patients uh, who come to me very often very unhappy having come through some kind of authoritarian upbringing where they were convinced that the story they should live and the character they should be within that story is not anything they really enjoy or anything they feel related to or connected to. And as a result, they live a life that's not a full life, and they live a life that in many ways is not worth living. And this raises the question, when does life feel really genuine and worth living and i think i've answered the question already Uh, it's when certain needs are met when uh, uh, we meet a certain set of needs and let me introduce an idea here from abraham maslow who was an interesting psychologist we we, we live in an age now by the way where theory is dead we don't have any major theorists Uh, we are very practical at this point Uh, psychiatry and psychology as I've said many times uh, simply tries to get the right diagnosis or what bad name we can call somebody and how we could treat them which is to stop the behaviors that we think they should not be engaged in and uh, have them engage in behaviors we think they should engage in whether or not they feel connected to or whether they feel to be a character in the story we impose upon them. Uh, We certainly have an image of human beings now that uh, is like a machine, uh, a kind of a supercomputer with a great brain uh, that is very difficult to uh, program. But nonetheless, uh, we're machines. We've accepted the rule of technology, uh, science, and particularly the science uh, the physical sciences and biological sciences, which uh, really don't uh, uh, promote an idea at the level of a creative, living, uh, uh, storytelling human being. Uh, and, and hence, uh, we, we drug people uh, beyond what I could even understand. In fact, I'm going to do a show uh, on this, another show. New York Times, uh, April 1st, had a front-page article that attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is now being diagnosed in 11% of United States children. I mean, that's just inconceivable to me uh, that this would be done. And those 11% of children are going to be convinced that the way they live in the world, even when they enjoy it and it feels authentic and it feels real, uh, shouldn't be engaged in. And most of them uh, will be given drugs. Um, you must be successful in school, you must be successful in the academic program Uh, in the United States, the arts, and I want to talk about this from Maslow's point of view or my interpretation of Maslow, are almost dead in the schools. It's science and it's technology. And while I would never uh, suggest that I don't think science and technology are important, I don't think they are the be-all or the end-all of life, nor do I believe that in and of themselves, they make a life that's really worth living. So let me talk about Maslow. Maslow had a, what he called the hierarchy of needs. That's what he became very famous for. And at the bottom of, of the hierarchy, and I, I have to talk about this for a while. Well, I'll talk about, no, let me do it, do it now. He had a hierarchy in which each set of needs Sat on top of the needs below it. So there were lower needs and higher needs. And those individuals who achieved the highest level of needs were the most uh, fulfilled or the most, uh, as he put it, self actualized as individuals. And uh, some years after uh, I used to study and teach Maslow, Maslow, a friend of mine came to me with an article that suggested that this hierarchy, like all hierarchies, contained within it a kind of set of moral definitions. And that Maslow believed he uh, was one of the most uh, uh, mature and important and self-actualized individuals on the planet. And he listed a number of other individuals, well-known individuals, um, who were similarly in that high-level category. At that point I said this theory can't be used. This is another authoritarian system in which there are better people and worse people, people who are superior to others in some innate way, and this is entirely entirely destructive. So what I suggested we do is turn that pyramid on its side. No one of these needs is of a higher level or more important than any other needs, but they're all important if we're to feel alive, and if we're to feel uh, that we're um, living a life that is, in fact, well worth living. At the one level of need, his, his bottom level, are the needs of the biological, hunger, thirst. Um, I, I don't remember where he placed sex, but we'll put the sex in there. Uh although sex, when it's added to love, when it's something existential... Uh, it seems to me, is of a different uh, uh, organization, a different order uh, than uh, sex uh, just for its own sake. Although a good activity of play with sex uh, is as good and joyful in many ways as anything else, but it's still not the same uh, as when there is sex, at least in my point of view, when there's a genuine level of intimacy, when it's mixed up with something other, another set of needs that he talks about. Uh, There is nothing uh, romantic and there's nothing wonderful about being in pain and not being able to relieve pain. There is nothing uh, uh, that says that hunger uh, makes life better. Certainly, uh, to go on a diet and lose some weight or to uh, uh, not eat for a day for religious observance can make us feel ennobled. Uh, and make us feel we've achieved something important uh, that gives us a sense of pride and a sense of control over ourselves, I think is worthwhile. But to really be down out and hungry, uh, to be uh, cold, uh, this is not uh, anything that I think should be part of any human existence, particularly if we're looking at an existence that feels like it's worthwhile to live. By the way, anybody who's listening and wants to jump in, it's 646-716-7756. 646-716-7756. The next level of needs are he called of safety needs. Uh, fear is a terrible thing to live with. And how many children and how many people in the world grow up in a perpetual state of fear? Fear for their life fear that uh, they will be cast out uh, seriously punished to grow up under a level of fear is very often to live a story uh, that doesn't feel either real nor worth living uh, to, to force oneself to believe the stories of others because they make us afraid if we don't live, believe those stories if we try to convince ourselves that something is true, when we deep down know it's not true, uh, is a particularly painful way, I think, to live. And yet, many of us do end up living that way because of the kind of social system we live in, either at the level of family or of school or of the society itself. Uh, it takes a particular kind of courage and a particular kind of, of uh, what is the word I can use, nobility, to fight against an authority uh, that will torture or kill you if, in fact, you don't believe uh, what they tell you. Very interesting. I had a, a patient that I had seen many years ago uh, who was robbed by one of his own employers' employees. And this guy put a gun to his head and he took his money and he put a gun to his head and he said, Now, kiss my shoes. And uh, he thought about this for a while, and he did. And he was extremely depressed. Everybody agreed with him. You did the right thing. You gave up a few dollars. He said to me, I gave up my dignity. I gave up who I was as a person. I now would rather I hadn't done it, even if it meant being dead. And this was something we worked with for a while. Um, he struggled with. I don't know. I think he felt better by the time he left me. But I don't think he'll ever fully uh, resolve that particular feeling that his life was made inauthentic because, uh, as he put it, I kissed the shoes of somebody uh, who I have no respect for, uh, who I thought of uh, in a terrible way as a human being, not even as a human being, as a kind of an animal that was here, came to torture me and hurt me. Everybody disagreed with him. But as we talked, I really did understand what he was saying. Uh, We'll do things under fear that uh, we know we're doing. Uh, They don't feel completely real. They're not us. Uh, They're not us in that sense of what us means. And I'll I'll, I'll try to define that a little bit in existential and and, uh, humanistic terms. Next on the level and I don't know why he put this not at the highest level, but again, I've turned it on its side, so it's as important as any other, is to feel we belong to love and be loved. Uh, Can a life be worth living if we're not loved? When I work with my patients at the uh, nursing home who no longer have anybody that loves them, uh, they're cared for, sometimes well cared for, but they're, all the people that they loved, uh, all the groups that they belonged to, all the activities that define their life as a social being are gone. And um, they feel real. It's interesting. These are very real people. Uh, there is no phoniness left. They have stripped away uh, trying to uh, convince themselves like we all do, or so many of us do, that if only we were more successful economically, we would be happy, uh, and that money really defines success, that has no meaning to them anymore. But they are alone. They are terribly, terribly alone. Uh, When uh, prisoners of war are to be tortured and broken down, when people in prison uh, are are to be uh, ultimately disciplined, very often solitary confinement, isolation social isolation becomes a terrible punishment and creates a situation that feels very real there's nothing phony about it it's really happening Uh, but it makes life not really worth living that need to be loved and to feel loved uh, to belong to groups to belong to social organization to be a citizen an active citizen Uh, to your country that you both believe in and love uh, are critically important, I think, in making a life that feels real and is worth living. Next, he talks about uh, Maslow pride. Uh, And we're not talking now about, and I I don't remember if he really differentiated, false pride, uh, where we, we, we arrogantly are proud of small things But that uh, we're proud of the people around us, we're proud of genuine achievement, um, that we have a sense of pride uh, that is real. I think that is very important, to make life both um, meaningful, rich, and to feel uh, that it's worth living, it's really worth living. Next, are, he talked about self actualization. And for many years, I struggled with what does it mean to self actualize. And what I have done in my own thinking is to suggest that the word to be creative, to create something that is beneficial for your fellow human beings, but that comes out of the deepest part of your own personality, that requires real effort real hard work to make the best that it can be. And this can be in any area. Uh, My wife was watching, and I was watching today for a while, a cooking show. Uh, And these are individuals I was watching who both their life feels both real and really worth living I think I've told the story before about this wonderful young man who was in my psychology class who finally came up to me one day. He said, I I don't relate to this. I just don't want to do this. And I said to him, what do you would love to do? He said, I love to cook. I want to be a chef. I think I did talk about this before, but I always found this such a a terrific um, uh, 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 event in my teaching career because I've had this at least a half a dozen or a dozen times. And he decided uh, he would become a chef, and he did. And some years later, he came back and visited, that he was, in fact, a chef. He was going to open his own restaurant. I don't know how much success he had economically with that or whether he made a go of it, but he was a happy camper. Um, I was a chemistry major uh, because I loved my high school chemistry teacher. He was a wonderful teacher. He was a fabulous person. Um, and, uh, I had great trouble with math and I needed both, uh, differential and, uh, well, I needed two terms of calculus. I barely struggled through the first. Uh, it was not for me. Uh, and while I like chemistry, I never really connected to it emotionally. Um, I never saw myself really doing anything significant in chemistry. And I finally went to my advisor uh, a fellow by the name of Joseph Woodruff, who was a very popular and well-known teacher at City College in the psychology department, years and years and years ago. Uh, he said, "What do you love to do?" I said, "Well, I can't wait for the summer. I love to work as a, in a camp as a camp counselor. I like working with people." He said, "Take a course in psychology. See how you feel about it." And I took my first course in psychology, and it was love at first sight. The very word to this day, gives me a stirred feeling, a feeling of of real connection and worth. Uh, And I have never questioned, again, I've questioned some of the jobs I stayed in or some of the things I did within a job uh, that I may not be particularly proud of. Uh, For example, uh, not speaking up loud enough against an administrator who I thought was the horse's ass, um, or not taking to task some of my colleagues who would flatter these administrators uh, and tell them all kinds of things that I knew they didn't believe. Uh, of course, they would admit afterwards they didn't believe it, but it could get you your promotion. It could get you uh, uh, advancement. Uh, no small things, not unimportant, uh, but uh, what's your soul worth? Uh, does that make your life feel real? Does it make it life feel worthwhile when you're kissing somebody's butt Uh, when you're what I used to call the ass-kissing, brown-nosing, tushy licker, Um, a.k.a. These are questions we all have to answer for ourselves. Uh, What happens when we spend our life in a job uh, kissing the asses of the boss in order to get ahead uh, for an activity that we don't connect with and doesn't bring us the kind of joy that real creativity brings. What happens? Uh, I don't think it's anything good. I don't think so. Uh, And then when we have to spend our life lying to ourselves that really this is the best we could do, this was what was necessary, uh, when we really never tried to do anything else, uh, it becomes a very difficult situation, I think. So, self-actualization means making something that didn't exist before that reflects our inner needs, our inner feelings, the highest level of cognitive activity we're capable of. uh, When we're searching to relate to something larger than ourselves, greater than ourselves, uh, what might be called spirituality, Um, can we be spiritual and creative without being religious? Well, I don't think there's any correlation I think that uh, religion can motivate the highest levels of creativity. Uh, Look at Michelangelo. I'm going to be going to Italy in a few weeks. I've been there before, uh, and I stood in awe looking up at the the Sistine Chapel, the roof of the Sistine Chapel, uh, which was done by Michelangelo, uh, the statues of da Vinci and the the great artists of the Renaissance. Uh, These were individuals who... Who created something that could last forever and it's reaching for something greater than ourselves that's so important and my feeling is that when we create because I've done enough writing that is creative uh, that that I've talked to enough artists um, where are we we're in a very good place because we're playing it's all play Uh, it's a struggle it requires hard work it requires Uh, intellectual clarity, but it's expression of us that others appreciate and may love and help lift them to a a level of creativity uh, in their own lives. Uh, I've spoken to people who cook, who write poetry. Uh, I think that a number of people who play sports are highly creative in the way they do it. Uh, They do it with their individuality and they struggle to be the best that they can do. And certainly they bring a great deal of pleasure uh, and and a heightened sense of life uh, that is worth living to those who participate and and appreciate what their efforts are. So, uh, I wish that our school system uh, would have as much training in the arts as in technology The arts in our school system, in many ways, are the poor steps cousin to the sciences, Uh, the sciences that uh, increasingly are used uh, to mechanize. Uh, And while I don't turn away my hi-fi and I'm not uh, uh, turning down and closing my computer uh, and being a purist, a kind of Luddite that says that uh, (laughs) I'm not interested in technology or using technology to be creative – um, do I flatter myself if I think some of these shows have a certain level of creativity in them? Uh, I feel that way. Uh, there's a kind of a pleasure and a joy. And by the way, let me talk for a second about joy. Uh, joy is not the same as happiness. Uh, we're supposed to live a life that is happy, and it's certainly better than living a life that is miserable. But joy is that emotion that occurs Uh, You can't plan for it. You can't make yourself feel joy. Joy is that moment when you've expressed something, when you've shared something unique with another human being, when the two of you have done something of great creative value, um, a a shared play. And I could throw in at this point sex. Uh, Sex can be among the most joyful, playful, wonderful things that can exist in our lives, or sex can be drudgery. Sex can be hard work. Uh, how many people I met, and I could talk about this personally, during the time where we we're trying to have a child, and you're having sex by the numbers and by the hours, because the sex is uh, while it's pleasurable and it's nice and it could be fine, it has another goal, and that goal, uh, the child. Uh, however wonderful we think that will be and however important, really has nothing to do with the sex itself. It's an outcome of sex, but it's not particularly something uh, that is part of creative sexual play uh, between people. And some of the most joyful and wonderful moments in anybody's life can be that kind of sexual activity. Um, A life without love, a life without sex and a life without sex with love uh, is not something uh, I would have liked to have lived. Uh, I consider myself lucky and most many of the people I know consider themselves lucky because that was a piece, however large or small, of their existence. It was something that made life feel real and it was made something that was, was uh, um, uh, joyful. So, uh, what else? You know what? I, I think I, you know, there's something else I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about actors and actresses. I'll use two instances. Uh, recently, I saw the movie Les, Mis, Les Miserables, and uh, the woman who plays uh, Fantine, Anne Hathaway, puts in a performance uh, that had me, because that song, I Dreamed a Dream, has made me cry, <laughs> And made me feel wonderful and sad ever since I heard it many, many thirty years ago or so, when I saw the first Broadway show of it of Les Mis. But she did a performance that was so powerful and so unbelievably real. The second uh, performance, uh, what's her name? Dana. Oh, anyway, it's in the, in the movie Homeland. this TV series Homeland. Uh, the the Car- the actress who plays Carrie, the CIA spy, and by the way, for those of you who can get a chance to see this show, uh, this is some of the best acting I've ever seen. a really interesting uh, show uh, and, and you know uh, and it's entertainment and let me talk about entertainment in a second. I want to add something after I talk about actors and actresses. when i 'm moved by a performance by an actor or an actress. I often wonder, what do they experience themselves doing when they act this way? Does it feel real to them? I raise this question because I wonder, does it feel real? If it didn't feel real, if they didn't put themselves into that role, could they move us? Could they move us in the same way that they move us when we experience them in many ways as more real a human being in their fictional role than the people who we live in our lives, who actually live in our lives? Uh, I don't know how to answer that question. If anybody has acted, maybe they can answer that. Um, when it comes to any activity, if we're aware we're doing it, we really don't enjoy or or feel connected to the activity. It's work. I've seen many a movie, many a show, where the work was some of the hardest work I've ever done. It didn't feel real. The acting didn't feel real. The story didn't come across as real. It wasn't something uh, that lived, if you you know what I mean. Uh, It was empty. And the actors... They knew they were acting. They never lost themselves in the role. Um, If you watch a movie and you watch yourself watching it, it's excruciating. When we self-actualize in any activity, when we're truly playing, when life is really joyful and worth living, we lose ourselves and then find ourselves in the deepest way. I think that's part also of what we mean of an existentially defined self-actualization. When we are, uh, the hours disappear when we're really playing and where we're struggling within the play uh, and it feels as real and as worthwhile as anything could possibly be. To sit in the theater and watch something that was thrown on the screen or on the stage to make some money that nobody seemed to believe in and the actors don't seem to believe in it, is, is in some ways worse than having a tooth drilled, at least for me. And it seems to me so much of our society this way, right now, is lived and entertained with stuff that just doesn't connect and is not real, doesn't feel real, uh, it doesn't make life really worthwhile. So, I think I've said it. I've done a little more than a half hour. If anybody uh, would like to call at uh, 646-716-7756, uh, I'm going to do next week's show. would be the 17th. And then if I could think of a good show on the 24th, I'll do that. And then I'm going out of the country for a couple of weeks. Um, so there'll be no shows and uh, uh, whatever. So, if anybody would like to call, I would love to discuss. If you have any questions, comments, uh, uh, my last show on, on children and uh, their so-called being disordered and the terrible things we're doing to our society with that had a wonderful response, but it was all after the fact. It's uh, all uh, you know, people who are going online, downloading, uh, whatever so this is good let's see it's uh, 8.04 and uh, I'm thirsty I think I'm going to go have some drink maybe a little uh, dessert and I'm going to say good night unless in the next 60 seconds somebody would like to call up okay okay have a joyful evening I hope all kinds of good and real things will happen to you. Uh, we are living in a world that I say again uh, treats us as machines, as expedients. Uh, it feels less and less real. Uh, more and more of our time is spent denying the fact that uh, uh, the violence in our society and the violence in our world is terrifying, that uh, we're cooking our environment, that we're killing the planet. Uh, and not doing anything creative and joyful to make life continue in a positive way. I was listening to another blog talk radio show today that uh, dealt with that kind of stuff. And I found it interesting in many ways. So, I'm going to say good night, And I'm going to press the end episode button. And that's it.